Well, it's been since November 21st since we were going through 2 Corinthians, and we certainly enjoyed our Advent season and going through uh, the Gospel of Matthew and looking at those amazing passages where God became man and dwelt among us. But we're going to pick back up today, uh, now that we're over the Advent season, with 2 Corinthians. And, and the wonderful thing is we're in sort of the heart of the book. Some of the most precious passages uh, to Christians for 2,000 years are contained in these chapters of 2 Corinthians. We'll pick back up with 2 Corinthians 4, verses 13 through 18. Let's go to the Lord in prayer uh, and pray for the transforming graces that can come through his mighty word. Father, we do in faith turn to you right now, Lord, and uh, with eager anticipation, uh, we, we look at these verses that have comforted us for so many years, Lord, and, and we want to know more about them. We pray, God, that, that at least one amazing concept would be applied to our heart through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that will help us to minister to others and be ministered to us today, God. We are a a weak people. We are so distracted by the things of the world. We become anxious. We become depressed because we forget these things. We tend to lose heart. And even in this passage today, we are commanded to not lose heart. Help us to show, show us how, Lord, we cannot lose heart as we look at this passage of Scripture today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Please do turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 13 through 18. Uh, and uh, let me read that in its entirety. And then I'm also going to read kind of because it's been a month. I'm going to pick back up where we left off as well. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 verses 13 through 18. God says, uh, the apostle Paul writes to the church of Corinth. But having the same spirit of faith, according to what is written, I believe, therefore I spoke, we ought to believe, therefore we also speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and will present us with you. For all things are for your sake, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For a momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Amen. I just want to remind you, again, this follows upon Paul's passage back in verses 7 through 12 uh, in uh, 2 Corinthians. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Always carrying about the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our body. For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life in you. For our purposes today, as we look at 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18, uh, the, the key focus is going to be on verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewing 
day is being renewed day by day. So the question is this, how do we not lose heart? Do you ever lose heart? Do you ever get discouraged? Do you ever get anxious? Do you ever kind of, uh, you, you kind of feel like you're just so overwhelmed by the circumstances of this world that we lose heart? Well, that's very common actually with humans. I think it's very common in our culture. Statistic came out that the population increase of the United States last year was the lowest ever in the history of our country. Now, there are multiple reasons for that, COVID, lower immigration, things like that. But I'll be honest with you, talking with young people, one reason why is a lot of young people have lost heart. They're concerned about having children and bringing babies into the world and that kind of thing. That topic came up with my mother during Christmas and uh, uh, with the children uh, talking to her, and she, and she, she said, Sugar booger, I had babies in the 60s, <laughs> you, know? you know, it was not a calm time in America. There's always going to be something going on, right? But there, there is a principle here, folks, and there is a depth of understanding that you need to grasp hold on, that you have the capacity to not lose heart. So what I want to do is, is as we look at this text, I'm going to kind of break it down six different ways and, and look at the six ways that we, cannot, or we do not lose heart based on this text. First of all, we do not lose heart because of faith in verse 13. But having the same spirit of faith, everything has to do with faith, doesn't it? According to what is written, I believed, which is faith, I believe, therefore I spoke. We ought to believe, therefore we ought to speak. Now what Paul is doing here, he's quoting Psalm 116. And Psalm 16 was written at a time when David thought he was going to die. Now, David thought he was going to die a lot, and David almost did die a lot. But the nice thing about David is he wrote it down when he thought he was going to die. So he, is, he is, thinks he's going to die, and he, but he believed. He believed the promises that the Lord had given him. God had anointed him to be the next king. So no matter what happened, no matter how evil Saul was, no matter how many times he was threatened by the Philistines, he believed and because he believed, he also spoke. He could not keep the power of that faith within himself. He was so excited about it, he had to speak. Well, Paul is like David. He's no hypocrite. He's no coward. So he believes the gospel, so he is going to speak about the gospel. He told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, If I preach the gospel, I have nothing to boast about, for I'm under compulsion. For woe is me if I don't preach the gospel. Are you willing to speak about the wonderful things that have happened into your life? Reformed folks have kind of a bad reputation for not being a very evangelistic people. We have got the content. We have got the doctrine. We've got the amazing traditions. They have proven the test of time, but not enough people know about it. Are you excited enough about what the Lord is doing in your life to be able to speak? Paul understood this principle, as did the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah, now it cost Jeremiah to speak. It cost Paul to speak. I mean, he was overwhelmed. I mean, that, that, that previous passage, you know, he was struck down but not destroyed, carrying about the body of the dying of Jesus, that kind of thing. It cost him to speak. It's going to cost you to speak. It is going to cost you to speak, but you'll receive reward in heaven, obviously. But the prophet Jeremiah, it really cost him. I mean, he had one friend, <laughs> two friends. They despised him so much he was bullied his entire ministry, and false prophets were coming up. They threw him in a well, et cetera, et cetera. But Jeremiah says this but, uh, in, verse, in chapter 20, for, for me, the word of the Lord ha has resulted in reproach and derision all day. 
But if I say, I will not remember him or speak anymore in his name, then in my heart it becomes like a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary of holding in. I cannot endure it. The reason why you are here today is because faith helped us to not lose heart, and the faith of someone else who didn't lose heart, they, shared, they spoke, they shared that faith with you. Our very tradition is dependent upon the conviction that what we believe is true and so exciting we can't keep it to ourselves. Let's go back to Martin Luther, right? Martin Luther, the Diet of Worms. When he was told that he needed to recant and, and, and you know, if he looked at church history, he was going to die. He thought he might even might, may not make it out of the courtroom by not recanting when he rediscovered principles that had been long lost through medieval corruption. Martin Luther says this, Unless I can be instructed or convinced with evidence from the Holy Scriptures or with open, clear, and distinct grounds and reasoning, and my conscience is captive to the Word of God, then I cannot and I will not recant because it is neither safe nor wise to act against conscience. Here I stand. I can do no other. God help me. Amen. I was talking to one of the brothers in the church who's, who's basically whose boss is a coward. You ever work for a coward? It's not easy. You, not, you never have a sense that your back is covered. Um, I didn't, I've never worked for a coward. I replaced a coward before, and it took me two years to clean up his messes because he was such a conflict avoider, just avoiding conflict all the time. There should never, ever, even the youngest of us should never be cowardly because we do not lose heart. Therefore, we tell others about what is going on uh, within our heart in faith. Now we see here we do not lose heart because of hope, verses four, verse 14, knowing that he who raised Jesus, uh, 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 Jesus, the Lord Jesus, will raise us also with Jesus and will present to us with you. Our, our, our faith is not dependent upon experience. This is, this is one of my beefs with a lot of the, the, the Pentecostal charismatic movement is uh, you have, if you're not having this amazing heaven opening experience maybe you not or you're not saved everything's dependent on experience what is our faith dependent on knowing that he who raised the lord jesus christ will also with jesus will present us with hope wouldn't you rather have your hope based upon the truth of god's word than upon your experience can we be honest sometimes we just don't feel very holy <laughs> we don't feel like worshiping some of you didn't feel like being here this morning because you really overdosed the figgy pudding yesterday. How many of you confessed gluttony in our confession? Never mind, you know, I don't need to know that. It was at the top of my list when we confessed our sins. But the, the point is this, is the resurrection is the center and the strength of the gospel. Because Jesus Christ is raised, we have hope. Because Jesus Christ is raised, we have hope. But the Christmas every day is Christmas, every day is also Easter. He told the Corinthians, the first Corinthians chapter 1, but we preach Jesus crucified to Jews a stumbling block, to Gentiles foolishness, but to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. The uncalled will mock you for believing in the resurrection of the dead. But the call put all their hope upon that fact. 
There's a direct correlation here between the resurrection of Christ, he who raised Jesus from the dead, and your own resurrection will also raise Jesus, will also raise us with Jesus and will present us with you. Paul's already pressed that point with the Corinthians again in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. But now Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who are asleep. For since by a man came death, by a man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all died, so also in Christ all will be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ, the first fruits, and then those who are Christ that is coming. Then comes the end. Because Christ is raised, you can be raised. That's where we put our hope. Now, what that means is that this life is not the end. This is not it. It's not over with. There is a life, actually, our citizenship is in heaven. There is a life that's much better than this that we can anticipate. And that helps us to hold loosely to the things of this world and to not be anxious and not be depressed, not to be discouraged. Death holds no terror for us. Death held no terror for the Apostle Paul because, frankly, we're much better off. Romans 8, 18, Paul, Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that has been to be revealed to us. He told Timothy in his last will and testament, his last letter as he was dying and about to be executed in Rome, The time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the course. I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord the righteous Judge will award to me on that day. Now, he could have stopped right there. But what else does he say? And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. All who have loved his appearing. As I'm looking out, I don't know you as well as I want to know you, but I know a lot of you really well. And my goodness, y'all have been through some trials these last few years. You have been through the trials these last few years. Trials that could break a normal person. Praise God, we're not normal. (laughs) We're Christians. And our hope is not in this life. All those who loved his appearing, if you're a Christian, you love his appearing, you love the fact that he's going to return, and there's no reason for you to despair because we have hope. Marcus Aurelius, Roman, said this, at the time of death, that all that is left is dust, ashes, bones, and stench. What a bummer. But that's what... Why wouldn't you just go to drunken orgies all the time if this life is it? Why not just get the most pleasure? Why not just manipulate people all the time? Why not just run over them? Why not just take over their business? Why not just throw your trash out the window? I don't know. You fill in the blank. I don't think... He didn't have a window. He was in a chariot. Anyway, dust, ashes, bones, and stench. That is not the principle belief of a Christian. No, our life is going to be much better. We do not lose heart because the resurrection of Christ and our own resurrection gives us purpose and meaning to all that we experience in this life, even in the trials, even in the heartbreak. We do not lose heart because of worship. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes, so that the grace which is spreading to more and more people may cause the giving of thanks to abound to the glory of God. 
Now notice this, because the grace which is spreading to more and more people, we practice the giving of thanks to abounding uh, or, uh, abound to the glory of God. And what is the giving of thanks? What's well, worship? It's worship. Woe to those who've never come back to church after COVID. Woe to them. They are missing out on worship, which is the whole point of being a Christian. Why do we evangelize? We had a missionary, uh, a young lady who's from our church who's going to be a missionary. We have some young college students who went up to be missionaries uh, to Iowa today. Uh, why? What's the point of that? Why do we evangelize? I was kind of getting on you earlier about uh, maybe not you believe, but you don't speak, maybe. Why do, why do we do that? It's not that people would be converted. It's not that people would be converted. It's that they would learn to worship. That's the reason why. It's worship is the purpose for missions. Worship is the purpose of evangelism. You don't believe me? Look at John 4. The woman at the well, you know that wonderful account? I love John 4, that account. Here's this loose Samaritan woman, and she's the first person Jesus actually says, I'm the Christ. But an hour is coming, says Jesus, and now is when true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The point of missions, the point of evangelists, the point of church services is worship. God is seeking worshipers, and he condescends to use us to help bring them into the fold, to bring them into the choir. There's a wonderful story that came up in some of my research with Charles Spurgeon. You know, I love Charles Spurgeon, my favorite Baptist. Charles Spurgeon was explaining the gospel to a woman who was on the verge of belief in salvation, and she just she got all emotional. She goes, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if the Lord saves me, he shall never hear the end of it. <laughs> you know? And he said... Good, good. Has the Lord saved you? Well, then the God should never hear the end of it. Our hearts should just be, God, just can't believe you saved me. Thank you so much for saving me. What can I do? <laughs> I'm just so excited about being saved. He should never hear the end of it. We got to talk his ear off. That might have been blasphemy. He, he, God's ear can't fall off, but you know my point. You don't believe me? Listen to Revelation chapter 7. After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands. And they cried out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to our Lamb. We get to... This is choir practice. The event is in heaven. And we get to just stand there and just worship the Lord all the time. All the time. I don't know what that looks like because I think we're also going to plant flowers and do other things. I don't know if I plant flowers came to mind. But anyway, we're going to garden. But we're going to worship. So let's get ready for it, right? That's really our purpose here. We do not lose heart because of contentment. Oh, this is one 
Westerners need to hear, don't, don't we? Verse 16, therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Yet you know, I feel like I wake up in the morning and I start off every day as a 30-year-old and I end up by 9 o'clock at night as a 90-year-old. Do you ever feel that way? Like God sort of winds up the key in your back and you just kind of keep going and as, as the day goes on, you just sort of go down. Why is that? Because our outer man is decaying. And it ain't just a man thing. Your outer woman is decaying too. You're, we're all decaying. I don't really have to convince you of that, do I? Some may need more convincing. Children think they're going to live forever. We used to be children. <laughs> we used to be children. Well, that was depressing, sorry. Remember that Paul reminded the Corinthians that we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. Why? Because our hope is not in this outer man. It's not in this outer man. This is a, a residence of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's not that the body doesn't matter. Christians have a high view of the body. But it's the Spirit that is the point. Outer man is like an earthen vessel, verse 4-7, uh, or mortal flesh, 4-11. It's a reference, of course, to the physical body, the perishable part of men from birth to death. The body is decaying. The condition is experienced by all. And, it's, and part of that, frankly, is to bring us the humility. If we just never felt it, we probably would put a lot of hope in this life that we shouldn't be putting our, our hope in. It, it is humble not being able to do the things that you used to be able to do. So the question is, do you feel like your outer man is decaying? Uh, and yet the other part is, yet our outer man is also, I mean, inner man is being renewed day by day. Do you feel that? Now look, sanctification is not like this. It's not a graph that goes up. We have our bad days. We have our bad weeks. We have bad years. But there is a constant renewal that should be happening for the Christian, a closeness to the Lord, a new understanding of things, because we are being renewed. And, and we should experience that. It's the sign that we are a true Christian. Why? Because Romans 8, who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? That's a list of really bad things. But just as written, we are, uh, for, uh, for your sake, God's sake, we are being put to death all day long. We're considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor present things, nor life to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Therefore, we do not lose heart. You know, we, we have made so many advances, and our life is so comfortable. That's one reason I love reading the Puritans. There, there was not a week where the Puritans didn't go to a funeral. There was not a week where the Puritans didn't go to the funeral. Childbirth. In childbirth, one out of seven women died in childbirth. That's why these Puritan men, they would have sometimes three and four wives. We are certainly not without those kind of pains right now. But what, how serious would you be about the next life if you actually went to a funeral every week? I think our hope would be in the Lord, right? 
Young people, this is really important for you. Because you think, well, that's, I mean, you're pretty close. You ought to keep saying this kind of stuff. I was 17 yesterday. I am still 17 inside. You know what I got for Christmas yesterday? My brother, who's 62, gave me a G.I. Joe. <laughs> and it's a really cool one, boys. You want to come to... It's like an Australian guy, and he's got a machete and a flamethrower. I love that G.I. Joe, you know. I was 17 yesterday. It's a little weird to play G.I. Joe's when you're 17. I was 12 yesterday in my mind. You ever go to the Citadel? What a great school, the Citadel. The uh, military school of South Carolina. Wonderful school, start of the Civil War. That was a little awkward. Uh, you go to the Summerall Chapel. It is a sight to behold. You walk into the Summerall Chapel. It is just, of course, gorgeous stained glass windows and everything. Every flag of every state of the nation goes down the aisle. Just colors everywhere. Military everywhere. Majesty everywhere. You know what's above the entrance of the Summerall Chapel? Ecclesiastes chapter, uh, verses, uh, chapter 12, verses 1. Because the citadel is full of young men, right? And women. Remember also your creator in the days of your youth before the evil day comes and draws near when you say, I have no delight in them. Christianity is not something you put off till later. How many times have I been sharing the gospel with people saying, oh yeah, once I'm done with my party in life and everything and I settle down and get a wife and some kids, we'll probably bring them to church. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. Why would you put something wonderful like this off? The other interesting thing about Summerall Chapel is you've got that. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth. Right down on this side, there's a monument with the name of every Citadel graduate who died in defense of our country. And every one of those for four years would go up and see that verse before they had to go to required chapel services in the day. And some of them ended up on the monument of death. Folks, that's life. (laughs) Keep that first one. So that the second one is a celebration, not a grief. Remember the Creator in the days of your youth, young people. There's a contentment because our hope is not in this world. Our hope is not in our stuff. Our hope is not in our health. It all has to do with perspective, folks. And this is why you need to start off every day with the Lord, bonding with Him, praying with Him, reading His Word, because we just forget this. We forget this. And we're just such malcontents, even Christians. We're going through this desert and we're whining the entire way. This is a problem for me. I'm on my fourth reading of Jeremiah Burroughs' um, Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I'll probably finish it in the middle of January. You know what I'll do then? I'll start my fifth reading of Jeremiah Burroughs' The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Because there's so many temptations to be a malcontent, a whiner. Jeremiah Burroughs says this, One drop of the sweetness of heaven is enough to take away all the sourness and bitterness of all of the afflictions in the world. I remember one of our members went to Haiti a few years ago. And um, she, she, uh, she, she was almost in this kind of... Um, for a couple of weeks afterwards, just, she, she, she just kept wanting to go back. Kept wanting to go back. 
to all the poverty and all of everything because she saw in the believers down there a level of contentment she had never experienced before and did not see in the American church. All our stuff actually creates discontentment, not more contentment. We do not lose heart because of sanctification, verse 17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It's, now notice this, it is producing for us. This implies a process, doesn't it? There is a process here of sanctification. There is a realized holiness that comes through sanctification. Our Westminster Confession of Faith, Shorter Catechism, question number 35, asks the question, what is sanctification? Good question, right? The answer is sanctification is the work of God's free grace. It is a work of God's grace, whereby we are renewed in the whole man after the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and to live on to righteousness. It's one of these things where God graces you with sanctification, but it comes through your, your working towards righteousness. What produces this? Look at this verse, verse 17. What produces this sanctification, right? Well, it's right there, right? The answer is momentary light affliction. If I could just get a sanctification wand and say, you were sanctified, you were sanctified, you were sanctified, I, I would, I guess. I certainly would do it this way to myself. It just doesn't work that way, y'all. You know what works? Pain. Pain. And lots of it. And increasing pain. And discouragement and disappointment and injustice and unfairness and heart disease, and cancer, and death, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Momentary light affliction. And we think, now Paul's not trying to make light of your affliction. Again, y'all have been through a great deal of pain, a lot of you. He's not making light of this, but he's trying to get it perspective. It's a question of comparison here. You've got to have a perspective. So the, what is the result of our sanctification? And here's the, here's the rest of the story. The reason why we can see this as even light, even the most difficult of circumstances, and momentary is because there is an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparisons. We've got to look through the lens of heaven. Why has God in his providence brought this upon me? He may not tell you, but I guarantee you keep following him, you'll look back and you'll see the benefit of it. I'm just telling you, folks, our prayer is God will use our church to bring people to faith, to increase worshipers and everything. And that's a scary prayer because he's not going to do it unless he breaks every one of us. He just doesn't use unbroken people. You know why? Unbroken people want the glory from themselves. A broken person, they're just used to having their head down and giving the glory to God. He's just... I wish there was a shortcut. They're just not. But you know what? For every bit of maturity, every bit of good deed, every bit of faith, every bit of worship that comes through that brokenness, there's an eternal weight of glory. Eternal weight of glory. That is powerful, isn't it? It's a point of comparison. I think about that, 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 it just kept going back to that idea of that eternal weight of glory, that eternal weight of glory, that eternal weight of glory. And of course, I thought about Brennus in the sack of Rome in 390 B.C. You're probably thinking the same thing. 
Brennus was a Gaul, and he attacked Rome. This is one reason why Caesar committed genocide against the Gauls, because the Romans were terrified of, of the Celts, my people. Uh, and they were terrified of the Gauls. The Gauls came in. They de- defeated the Romans at the Battle of Illyria. They, 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 they besieged Rome. The only place that hadn't fallen yet was uh, Capitoline Hill, one of the seven hills of Rome, and Brennus demanded a 1,000 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. 1,000 pounds of gold to not kill them all. So they agreed, so they bring out, they have this big truce, and they bring out the thousand pounds of gold, uh, and the, uh, the Gauls provided their own uh, steel yard balances, you know, the kind of balancing beam, you put weights on one side, and the other. And well, the Romans are putting the gold on, and, and they said, hey, they started complaining. And they said, listen, the, the balances are all in the, in the Gauls' favor here. There's something wrong with the scales. In other words, you're cheating, Brennus grabs his sword, throws it on the counterbalance, and says, Vea victus, woe to the vanquished. And the Romans had to pay even more for complaining about the balance of the scales. See, you have an eternal weight of glory that's coming. For the believer, for all of the dumb, stupid, sinful things that you've done, God throws on the sword of grace and says, blessed is the believer. Here's your eternal weight of glory. I'm going to counter all of those bad things to the blood of my son. And we do not lose heart because of eternity. Verse 18, while we look not at the things which are seen, but the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Again, here's another thing, point of contrast. We are not to look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. We lose our heart. We, 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 we get overwhelmed. We lose heart when we look at the things which are seen. We gain courage. We overcome anxiety, fear, etc. when they look at the things that are not seen. Paul, again, had emphasized this in 1 Corinthians. Things which the eye has not seen and the ear has not heard and which we have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. If you've noticed in our services of worship, we, uh, almost every time we have an opening prayer, we'll pray, God, be here amongst us. You've gathered us together. You've called us here. Be here. Spirit, well up within us. You know, if, we could, if, we, if science could invent goggles for the other realm, we would be surrounded by angels. The glow of God would be in here. We just can't see it. We just can't see it. But folks, it is as real as the Galleon family sitting right in front of me. It is just as real as that. But it takes eyes of faith. But if you don't try to see that through eyes of faith, you're going to lose heart. John suggests this. He doesn't suggest this. He commands this in 1 John 2. Do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. The world is passing away and onto its lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. We had the sweetest um, service on on Christmas Eve, and for the first time ever, we had a children's choir. We had six younglings up here singing, and they were just as precious as can be. And um, One of the things about children... Uh, you have to tell them exactly what to do. Otherwise, they're going to be like, you know, freed hamsters. They're just going to go all over the, the, the sanctuary, right? So 
today, still, behind these beautiful poinsettias, we have six little pieces of tape. There's, I mean, that's right. This is where they all stood. Were you all here? And they didn't move. And to make sure they sat in the right chair, we had tape on the chairs. Rebecca Miller really thought this through. And they did not move, right? They were instructed, and they practiced several times. You stand on that piece of tape because you're going to be the choir tonight, and you're going to sing to the praise of God and to the edification of people. Folks, in heaven right now, there's a piece of tape waiting for you. It's waiting for you. It's waiting for you. It's there now. And when you get there, you're going to be part of that every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and you're going to be robed in the righteousness of the saints, and your voice isn't going to crack, and you're not going to be, it's not going to be too high, and it's not going to be too low. The Tams will be leading music. Well, you know that. Mimi will be there. That piece of tape is there now, folks. Do not lose heart. Do not lose heart. Father, we thank you, God for what all that Paul went through to bring us these truths so that we cannot get through all that we go through. Help us not to lose heart. Forgive us when we do lose heart. You're so patient with us, Lord. And how many times have we, we're going to walk away from thinking, yeah, I'm just, I got it now. I'm going to, I'm just not going to sin this week. <laughs> we're going to sin before we get out the door. And that's where we need the grace. We thank you for the faith, the hope, our ability to worship you, the contentment that we can practice, the sanctification that comes to us by your grace and our sweat and faith and the eternity that is to come. As we come into a new year and we say goodbye to this old one, I pray, God, that we would embrace our hardships and difficulties knowing that they are not wasted knowing that they will cause us to not lose heart. In Christ's name.